So slide man, take me back to verse, or down to verse 7. Next slide, please. Verse 7. Let's read verse 7 again. And Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Actually, I think there's a slide with just that on it, just verse 7. Thanks. So Paul says, of this gospel. So we're just going to pause for a second and remind ourselves, what's the gospel he's referring back to? It was in chapter 1. It was in chapter 2. It's already been in chapter 3. He mentions it in the previous verse. So I just want to remind us as a church what gospel he's talking about. And as you probably know, the word gospel, the Greek word euangelion, it means, simply means good news. And the good news of the Bible is by far the best news on the planet. So you definitely want to know, well, what is this good news? And the good news is that even though none of us are worthy of the least of his mercies, the good news is that even though all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. The good news is that we are all sinners. There's none of us righteous, no, not one. The bad news, in spite of the bad news, the good news is salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the good news. The good news is that even though we have all broken God's commandments, we have all grieved His Holy Spirit, we have all wounded our own consciences, we have all transgressed God's holy law, we have all missed the mark when we aim and point our life at things, even though we've all done that, there is a way that we can be made right with God, and that way is free. The Bible says, Romans chapter 6, for the free gift of God is everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That way is free. We don't earn it. We can never deserve it. God gives it to us freely. Even as in chapter 2, Paul said, for by grace, grace means free gift, for by grace are you saved, made right with God, through faith. Faith is the means by which we are made right with God. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should get into heaven and boast. So salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's available to the worst sinner on the planet or the least bad sinner, if there's such a thing, on the planet. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. And Paul's about to say, I became a minister, a servant of that gospel. And I'm about to impress upon you who are believers that you are also in a different category, but you are also ministers of that gospel. So I wanted to make it clear, that's the gospel we're referring to. Again, just in case, I don't know who's here today. I don't know what your background is. You might have come from somewhere that taught you, well, if you've been baptized, you're right with God. The Bible does not say that. You might have come from somewhere that says, well, if you become a church member, go through confirmation, then you're made right with God. The Bible does not say that. You might have been taught that if you try really, really hard and you'd be one, you, you're one of the very good persons on the planet, then you'll be right with God. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says there's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's only through Jesus Christ, his atoning, substitutionary sacrifice on Calvary's cross, that's, that's the way to be made right with God. It is our prayer that every one of you will be made right with God, that you will repent of what you've been and what you've done, that you will turn to God, that he may be God to you, that you'll call upon the name and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and so doing, you'll be saved. At the end of this sermon, we're going to pray for you for that. So hang in there with me. But Paul says, so that's the gospel I'm talking about. Looking at verse 7 again now. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. I was made a minister. And man, was he. Remember, he was the biggest foe to Jesus Christ. He was the biggest enemy of the gospel. He was the biggest enemy of biblical Christianity on the planet, persecuting Christians, some of them being killed because they were believers. Paul was part of that. And, and yet, the Lord Jesus appeared to him while he was heading to Damascus to persecute more Christians and made him a minister. Like from day one, Paul says, oh, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. You're having a hard time persecuting me, aren't you? It's hard kicking against the goads. Guess what? You now believe in me. He was made a believer. Jesus didn't say, would you like to believe? No, I just put saving grace in your soul. I just sent the regenerating Holy Spirit into your soul. Guess what? You are now a believer. And you're also going to preach the gospel in my name, and I'm even going to show you how much you'll suffer for doing that, and he did. So Paul was absolutely made a minister. So here's something you need to know. The, the word minister there is the Greek word diakonos, from which we get the word deacon, a church officer called a deacon. But it's a general, generic term used billions of times in the first century, and it simply is, is the equivalent of our word servant. So Paul says, I was made a minister. It means I was made a, a, a servant. Now there are, to try and be simple, there are three tiers of servants in the church of Jesus Christ. There are three different categories. There are three different levels. I could do louder than you in the, in the, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me lay them out for you. So first tier of ministers, first tier of servants in the church of Jesus Christ are called in, in, the, in the Bible, uh, well, I'm going to call them universal church officers. They're universal church officers. They are apostles or apostles and prophets. So the Bible says, Ephesians 4, and he gave some apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Apostles hold office in the universal church. They are over, they are supra, all local churches. Apostles with a capital A, that is. There are also some apostles, little a in the New Testament. They are apostles of churches. But the apostles, capital A, are apostles of Jesus Christ. To be an apostle of Jesus Christ, you had to have seen Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's what they said in Matthew chapter 1. Um, Judas had abdicated his post. They said, we got to choose a replacement. And here was a, a qualification. Uh, they must be a witness with us of the resurrection. So to be an apostle, capital A, one of the founders of the, of the church, uh, officers in the universal church, you had to have seen the resurrected Lord Jesus. That's why Paul barely made it in. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 15, and speaking of people who saw the Lord, uh, I'm one who's born out of due time. What does that mean? Well, the normal time to have seen the Lord was before he ascended. But Paul says, I'm out of sequence there. Mine came later. Jesus came down once more as the glorified Savior and appeared to me on the road to Damascus. And so I'm, I'm like Johnny come late to the party, but I'm an apostle too. Paul writes to the Corinthians, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord? 
And the answer was, well, yes, he has. So to be an apostle, to be one of those universal church officers, you had to have seen Jesus Christ. You also had to be called immediately or directly by Jesus Christ to that office. Like no man said, I think I want to be an apostle. I'll go to school for it. And then some church will tell me, you'd make a great apostle, man. We're naming you an apostle in the universal church. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ said, you, sir, apostle. You, sir, apostle. You, sir, all the way down to Paul. Paul picked them. Only the one guy in Acts chapter 1 got picked by people, but God indicated by, by the lot, that's the one that I want. So every apostle was picked by Jesus Christ and saw the resurrected Lord. And they are identified in Scripture as part of the foundation of the church. Paul says, no other foundation can a man lay than that which we have laid, which is Christ Jesus. They laid the foundation. Here we are, you know, 2022. We're 20 stories up in the building, and that same foundation is still the foundation. In other words, what I'm saying is there are no apostles, capital A, on the planet today. Just want you to know that. Like if you're visiting here today and you've been thinking you're an apostle, I'm sorry to break the bad news, but you're not. So there are no apostles, capital A, but there are, those are universal church officers we still benefit from, we still stand upon their ministry. They with Christ are the foundation of the church, he being the chief cornerstone. But then there's a second category of ministers that we need to talk about for a minute, and those are local church officers. So there are local church officers, and there are two categories there in the Bible. They are pastor, also called elder, also called overseer, three terms used of one office, one person, seen from slightly different nuances. So there are pastors and there are deacons. The word deacon is this word, ministers or servants. So they exist to serve the church and keep the elders from being sidetracked from the ministry of the word and God and prayer. So in the local church, there are local church officers and there are pastors. Now, pastors, contrary to what some people might think, pastors in this post-apostolic era, at least maybe there's an exception, but I've never met it, pastors do not receive a direct call from Jesus Christ. Many of them imagine they have, I'm called, I know I'm called. What's wrong with my dumb church? Why haven't they recognized yet that I'm called? I'm really called. Well, you have subjective desires and feelings in your heart, and that's good, but those do not constitute a call. What constitutes a call is when a local church sizes you up. They hold up 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 and the qualifications for an elder, and they hold it up like a cookie cutter, and they see if it fits over you. And if you fit those passages, then they might appoint you by the laying on of hands, and that is your call. So you don't know that you're called to be a pastor till a local church says, we now call you to be our pastor. And if that local church ever says, we now uncall you to be our pastor, you are no longer called. So the universal church has a call directly from Christ. The local church has a call, but it comes from local church officers. It starts with 1 Timothy 3, if a man has the desire, it's a good work he desires. It starts with a desire, but a desire, no matter how strong, does not constitute a call and is not surefire proof that Jesus Christ wants you in the office. So what happens after the desire? You make the desire known. The church sizes you up with Scripture, and then they might extend a call to you. Then you are called by a local church to be a pastor. Same thing with deacons. So, all right. Paul says, I was made a minister. He's the universal church officer. Then there are local church officers. And then a third tier down who are also ministers, who are also called diaconoi, who also do the ministry, are simply local church believers. That's y'all. 
local church members. Back to Ephesians 4, and I'll put it up this time. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and Paul writes, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to do what? To equip y'all for the work of ministry. There's that word. You all are servants. So apostles are servants. Pastors and deacons are servants. And all the rank and file of God's people are servants, just different tiers, different levels, different responsibilities, but we're all servants. And the job of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is to equip you all so you'll be serving. So part of our job as leaders is to enlist every one of you, to employ every one of you, to get every one of you busy serving, not just sit, soak, and sour, not just take it all in, not like, you know, your welfare. I just want it all to... I want somebody else to provide it for me. No, no, no. You're coming in saying, I want to serve. I want to minister. I want to use the gifts that Jesus Christ has put in me for the good of the kingdom of God to edify the body of Christ. And so you are ministers just as much as Paul is a minister, just as much as any pastor or deacon is a minister. We are all to be ministers. We're all to be servants, but at different levels. Some in the universal church, some as pastors and deacons in a local church, and all of God's people in whatever church we're all to serve. So I hope that would encourage some of you to say, you know what, I haven't been serving. I'm just coming in and it's all there for me. And I'm just saying, wonderful, thank you very much. That was a 10 today and go home. Good day. Well, that, that's nice. Uh, I should have a list right here, right now. We have lots of openings for you where you can serve. Talk to us. Tell me, church, after the business meeting, after the core meeting on Friday night, if somebody wants to serve but they don't know where to start, where do they start? Yes. Another thousand emails for Gabby tomorrow morning. Office at. May there be a thousand of those emails. So Paul says, of this gospel, let's go back to verse 7, please, slide, ma'am. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. I'm just reminding you, so were you at a different strata. So were you at a different level. You were also made a minister, a servant of Jesus Christ. And then notice how he adds, according to the gift of God's grace. So God gives this grace to that one and that grace to that one so that it's a body of Christ and we need every member and the members that seem lesser and maybe more important and vice versa, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, 14. Um, but, but every one of us has received some size and shape of the gift of God's grace to, to equip us to be able to serve in the body of Christ. So look at the spiritual gift list there, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. And we're all to be serving in the body of Christ. And, and he adds, which was given me, Paul's gift was given me by the working of his power. All of our gifts were given by the working of his power. Paul's in a special way, amen? I mean, like, there he is, the biggest foe of the church on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, and in power, Jesus Christ shocked him, turned his heart in power, and he became the biggest advocate of the gospel that maybe the planet has ever known. Pretty amazing. Then he goes on in verse 8. Let's go to verse 8. To me, you hear the wonder in that. You hear the amazement in that. To me, like, don't ever lose the wonder. Don't ever lose the amazement. Don't ever lose the, oh, Lord, in your, the, oh, don't ever lose that. To me, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's humility. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, Paul calls himself the least of all saints. Literally, it would be translated, it's a little cumbersome, but less than the least of all saints. What do you think of that? How does that strike you that Paul says that? It strikes me like maybe Mike Tyson saying, yeah, I never could throw a punch. It strikes me like maybe Einstein saying, yeah, I'm really stupid. I never could understand physics. Here's Paul. I'm less than the least. Paul, ginormously gifted, brilliant by all accounts, bold, articulate, capable, confident, leader, successful, had been eminently used by God, planted churches all over the then known world, wrote half of the, or a third of the New Testament for us, um, as we saw last week, was given superlative revelations by Jesus Christ, was the only man ever on the planet to have been taken up into the throne room and spent a lot of time there while he was out in the Arabian desert, maybe over the course of three years, and then came back down to earth to write it and to tell about it. No one else on the planet ever liked the Apostle Paul, and yet he says, oh, shucks, I'm really a nobody. That's humility. Less than least of all saints. So that's a good way for me to see myself and a good way for you to see yourself. Lord, give us all more of that, huh? Whatever you are, you are by the grace of God. So give him the glory. Whatever talent you might have, you have by the grace of God. So give him all the glory. Paul puts this same humility out on display elsewhere. I want to just show you a couple passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 they were boasting about their favorite man. Like one guy said, oh man, Apollos, he's the man. I don't care for anybody else's ministry but Apollos. Another said, no, no, he's, he's junk. Peter, Peter's the man. I really dig Peter. And they were all like of one person. Don't you all be of one person. Like the only guy you listen to is John Piper. Don't do that. Listen to a lot of Piper. He's great. But don't be the only one. Don't be a follower of one man. That's what they were doing, and it was wrong. So Paul says, what then is Apollos? Let's evaluate them. Let's weigh them. What is Paul? Here's all they are. Servants. There's that word. We're just servants. Through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Now Paul puts himself in the pecking order. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither is he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So that's a good way to view yourself. I'm serving the Lord, I'm planting, I'm sowing, some good things are happening. It's God giving the growth. Apart from him, we can do nothing, but we want to do a lot, so we don't want to be apart from him, but we must lean entirely on his omnipotent and everlasting arms. Paul kind of repeats this, but uses a really interesting word in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, and he says, this is how one should regard us, because again, they were glorying in their man. They were boasting in their man. They were arguing with each other. My man's better than your man, that kind of thing. And Paul says, let me, let me set you straight. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Now, the word servants here is a different word. It's not diakonos. It is huperete, which if you take it literally, it means under rower. 
And it is believed that, some contest this, but it's believed that it's most likely that this is the word that was used of the guys who were in the lower level of the big ships. They had oarsmen up there and oarsmen down here. They called the ships a trireme, and they'd go around the Mediterranean with all these guys rowing their oars. They were slaves. They're chained to their oar. And, and Paul says, I was one of the under rowers. Now, you didn't want to be the under rower because it's really stank and stinky and sweaty. And the guys up above you who have to go potty, go potty, and it drips down on you. Paul chooses that known word and says, that's how you should regard me. Paul, less than the least of all saints. I'm an under rower, but bless God, I pulled my oar. That'd be a good thing to put on your tombstone, huh? Steve Hartland, here lies mortal remains of Steve Hartland. A little under rower, but he tried to pull his oar. <laughs> That'd be pretty good just occurred to me. And he also says, I'm not just an under rower, but I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. I didn't make this stuff up. I didn't make up what I wrote in the Bible. Those are words dictated, not dictated that way, but given by the Holy Spirit. I'm not creative. You don't go, wow, Paul, you're so amazing. You wrote Rome. No, 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 you don't understand. I'm just a steward. God gave me truth. I'm just being faithful to write it down. I'm nobody. Good way to see yourself. And these things are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. And we would all do well to view ourselves as, I'm just an under rower trying to pull my oar. I'm just a steward of the mysteries of God, but the truth is his. The gospel is his. It's all his. And so all the glory goes to him. You know the temptation, don't you? Anything you have or think you have, anything real or perceived that differentiates you from somebody else, that elevates you in people's eyes above somebody else, does what? It makes your head swell. Great Puritan preacher in England in the 1600s, Richard Baxter, I read a lot of his stuff, and at one point he said, this is from memory, but if your pile of dung gets a little bit higher than somebody else's pile of dung, your head swells. Somebody else wrote, I read this once, this is just from memory, uh, a human is the only animal that if you pat it on the back, its head swells. And that's true. Our heads swell very easily. We must constantly say to ourselves, but I'm just an under rower. I'm just a steward. I'm actually less than the least. I'm really nobody. And if you made it into eminence, I'm an eminent nobody. And it's all of Jesus Christ. So that's Paul, and that's ministry, and that's humility. And we're to learn from all of that because we're all in ministry, and we all need that humility. Next, Paul's going to tell us two objectives that he had in his ministry. There were others in other passages. These are the two here. Two objectives that he has in his ministry. Let's go to Ephesians 3, 8b through 9. Here's what he was called to do. The first objective, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Here's the second objective. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So there is two objectives, to do this and to do that. Here's what Christ called me into the ministry for. And we're all in the ministry to do these same things, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everybody what is the mystery. Let's talk about those. Let's just take the word preach for a minute. 
We're not all called to preach, but we're all called to interact, to either preach or hear preaching. And preaching, I just want to take a moment to say to you, preaching is a very central thing and a very important thing in the life of a local church and should be a very important thing in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. You remember how Dr. Luke characterizes the early church. Thousands of people have believed it's the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, and Acts 2.42, and they proskartereo is the verb. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. They weren't like, well, let's see, what are my options this weekend? The budget's kind of low. All right, so maybe we'll go to church. No, we got some money. Let's do this other thing instead. No, no, it wasn't an option. It was like when the apostles put the food in the trough, they were there, proskartereo. They continued steadfastly. Well, why would they do that? Because the gathered worship and all the means of grace in it are so important and so powerful, they didn't want to miss that. I always wanted, of course, I've been a pastor since before we had kids, so I've always been in church on Sundays. But if I'd never been a pastor and we had the same kids, I would want to be in church every Sunday for their benefit. I want them to be saved. I want them to become strong Christians. Well, where do I do that? Well, I get them under the means of grace where the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God comes to them. I want them sitting under preaching, biblical preaching, every time I can possibly get them under it, praying that the Word might go in and they might be saved. Let's talk about your wife. You say, well, my wife, she needs some work. I'd like to see her more sanctified. She needs to grow more in Christ. Well, what are you going to do? Get her to church, man. Get her under the preaching of God's word. There's power in that. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the Holy Spirit present in the corporate worship. Remember, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. I thought you're omnipresent. What do you mean you're there? Well, I'm especially there. There's a special presence of Jesus Christ in the gathered worship of the people of God. I want my wife to be under that because that'll make her a better wife and a better follower of Jesus Christ. And I want myself to be under that all the time. It's one of the reasons why every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning without fail, when I get things all ready, I got it microwaved, it's warmed up again, I bring it back up to heat, it's ready to bring it here, serve it to you, then I get to sit back, I look forward to this time, I love this time, I just listen to some other guys preach. I actually sent the link to one of you this morning and we, we wrote back and forth a little bit about it. I think, did you listen to the whole thing? You did. I haven't finished it yet, <laughs> all right. Man, I just wanna hear people who can throw down the word of God, and this guy was. So you want preaching in your life, you want preaching in your children's lives from the time they're old enough to you know, really profit from it. Uh, you want preaching in your wife. You want preaching to your husband. You want preaching to your friends. You want to bring them to hear the word of God preached. So Paul says, I was appointed to preach. Not to like do one-on-one -on -one discipleship. That's fine. Please do that. Not, but, but to preach. And he was called to preach. Here was his objective. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he had a special ministry to the Gentiles. Peter was sent to the Jews, and Paul was sent to the Gentiles, and Paul was the one who took the gospel into the Gentile world and planted churches and spread it and baptized people and wrote them their letters and built them up. Paul's the one that got all this thing going outside of Jerusalem. God used Paul. So that was one of his objectives, 
He was told by Christ to do that, go and preach to the Gentiles. Now notice how he describes what he preached. And I'm preaching to them the unsearchable riches of Christ. What does unsearchable mean? It means like if you start digging down in it, you'll never hit bottom. There's just layer after layer after layer after layer. It could also be translated um, the unfathomable wealth of Jesus Christ. By the way, some of you might not be believers. You might not be followers of Jesus Christ, and you wonder, and you should be counting the cost. You should be wondering, uh, if I become a believer, what would that mean? Well, it would mean a lot of things. It would really mean a lot of things and a lot of change in your heart. But here's one of the things it would mean. It would mean that you would begin to discover unsearchable riches that are yours in Christ. You, you would fall in love with him. You'd be amazed at the riches of his glory, at the, at the depth of the wealth of what is found in him. Think about it. All around us, there are people who are spiritually poor. Here we have, here we have God's word and the amazing wealth, the riches that are in Jesus Christ. And all around us, there are people who are in spiritual poverty, they're in darkness. They don't know. They don't have life everlasting. About a week ago, one of you invited, you're new here, one of you invited Debbie and me over for dinner. And we said, sure, what, dinner? Absolutely. Write office at and tell them you want Steve over for dinner. <laughs> we'll do that, yeah. All right. So one of you invited us over for dinner. Man, did you put on dinner. Wow. It was amazing. And you invited your son and his almost wife over, and they're not saved, and we got to be with them. So we went there with the objective of trying to create some spiritual conversation. So we did. And, you know, when it got, like, overt, like I'm asking the girl, the almost daughter-in-law, I'm asking her, so you know, do you have God in your life? Do you ever feel like you want more of God in your life? And here's what she said, and my heart sank. My heart stayed sunk for days. It literally did. I'm not kidding you. She said, why would I want God in my life? I'm happy. What would I need God for? And then she added, and I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Oh, my heart just sank. I glanced at the one of you. You're the almost mother. And I glanced at you. We looked at each other. And, went, oh. and it was a hard go from there, but we kept going for a while. It's so sad. The, the riches, the wealth of riches that are found in Jesus Christ. No eyes to see, no ears to hear, no heart to receive. Why would I want that? Well, because it's riches. Because it's unbelievable riches. Because it's so good. And we said stuff like this. Because he's so wonderful. It's so amazing. Like, I was not a believer and now I am a believer. You could not drag me back. Man, why would I want God? Oh. Lord Jesus must open eyes. Lord Jesus must open ears. The Holy Spirit must turn hearts so that people like that can believe. They're spiritually poor and they don't even know it. So Paul said, I'm, I'm here to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches. We're ministers. Let's preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches. Amen? They're all around us. That amen was really weak. We're going to bring them in touch with the gospel, right? We're going to pray for them. We're going to love them and serve them. We're going to invite them to places where they get nearer to Christ and nearer to the word of God. And our prayer for them is that they may be saved. 
And they're where you work, and they're where, where, where you work out, and they're where you play, and where you take your kids, and where you go to school. They're there, and they're all around you. I was amazed, man. Like, when I was 17, the first time ever somebody said to me, I'm a Christian, would you come to a thing with me? I'd never heard anything about Christianity prior to that. No one ever invited me to anything. No one ever shared the gospel with me. 17 years. And I was amazed, like, why didn't somebody do this earlier? And you would have looked at me. I should show you a picture right now. You would have looked at me and thought, no, that guy's not going to be saved. Like, if anybody in my high school class was going to be saved, I was not the candidate, all right, not the prime candidate. And so maybe people looked at him and said, nah, too far gone, forget that one. But little did they know, I was the guy who was ready. And when my friend looked in my eyes and said, well, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, why don't you come to the Bible study with me? I went that next Tuesday night, man. And, I, and the next Tuesday and the next Tuesday, and very quickly, I was a new creature in Christ Jesus. There's people like me, like I was, in your life. And it might be so simple. It might just be, hey, Christ has really changed my life. Come to this thing with me. Invite. So Paul says, I was appointed to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I invite people. And then the second objective that he had is down in verse 9. And, let's see verse 9, there it is. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Here's Paul's second objective. It was given to me to disclose God's plan. Isaiah didn't disclose it. Jeremiah didn't. Nobody in the Old Testament. John the Baptist didn't. It was only revealed to me, and it's the thing we've already seen, where Jew and Gentile are now going to be one new man. So, Prior to Pentecost, God had two envelopes of people. There were Jews. He put all the Jewish people in that envelope. There were Gentiles. He put all the Gentile people in that envelope. And if a Gentile wanted to get closer to God, he had to switch envelopes and go over in the Jew envelope, and he had to Judaize, get circumcised, start keeping the law, observe the diet, et cetera, et cetera. He had to Judaize. And even then, they'd only allow him into the court of the Gentiles at the temple. So you were a second-rate citizen, even though you were partway into the envelope. That's what it was before Pentecost, before the cross. But since the Holy Spirit has been poured out, since the body of Christ has been formed, God has a new envelope, and he takes Jews who believe, and he puts them in that envelope, and he takes Gentiles who believe, and he puts them in that envelope, and he calls that envelope one new man, or the body of Christ, or the church of Jesus Christ, or the living temple made with living stones. And it was given to Paul to reveal that. But now I want you to notice this, what he says, to reveal, to make it known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And right now is when I wish we had 45 minutes. Maybe I should just say amen. We'll start there next week and take 45 minutes. Huh? Let me, let me, let's just dip in a little bit in this that it might be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What is that? So I don't know if you know, but just like on this earth, there are different kinds of creatures created by God. So in the unseen world, there are different kinds of creatures created by God. They're not all, they're not all like identical looking angels. 
and they're not at the same strata of authority or power. So there is, of course, uncreated, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God eternally existing in three equal persons. But there are also seraphim, and then there are these other things called cherubim, and then there are things called thrones, and then there are things called dominions, and principalities, and powers, and archangels, and angels, both holy and fallen. So the unseen world is kind of like the seen world. There are different kinds of created beings, and some of them have hearts for God, and some of them don't have hearts for God. But the thing that Paul is hinting here is part of his biblical worldview, which he got from the Old Testament. There's a ton in the Old Testament about this, how that there's organization in the unseen world. There are rulers and authorities, just like he says here. There are rulers and there are authorities. This is part of Paul's biblical worldview. Let me show you what he says about this in Ephesians 6, 12. He, says, he uses the same phrase. He used this same phrase uh, 10 times in the New Testament. But I'll tell you what. I will go back. Go back to the previous slide, please, that just lists a bunch of references. If you want to know what the 10 of them are, there they are. Take your cell phone, click a picture, go home and look them up. Somebody showed me a picture of the guy in front of them during one of our worship services holding up his camera and taking a picture. So they took a picture of that so I could see it. And I thought, that's not a bad idea. Every now and then I can just show you a bunch of verses, tell you to click a picture. I see a bunch of you doing it. Bless you, bless you. Get me in it. All right, but let's look at this one, Ephesians 6. Paul writes, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Feels like it, but there's an unseen world but against the rulers, against the authorities. There's those same two words, rulers and authorities. There are rulers in that world. There are authorities in that world. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We need a dose of that in our worldview. We tend to be all material. It's people, it's things. We're wrestling against, now you're actually involved in a battle with unseen beings of different ranks, some who love God and some who hate the things of God. Paul does this again in Colossians 1.16. Let's look at it. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, there's our phrase again, all things were created through him and for him, Colossians 1 and verse 16. So there's a whole lot of this in the Old Testament. I had a lot of fun looking at a whole lot of passages about this and I don't have time to share any of them with you. But Paul wants us to understand that it was given to him to make known the mystery to unseen beings so they would go, oh, I I had no idea. A new envelope? One new, that was secret, that was hidden, that was the mystery. Oh, look what God just revealed. And the angels are, first Peter, what is it, 121 maybe? Angels long to look into these things. They'd be like, what's God gonna do? How's gonna do it? The cross happened, Jesus rose from the dead. And then there's a new envelope and one new man and it's no longer Jew and it's no longer Gentile. It's one new man. It's just an amazing thing. And even the angels elect and evil were pretty amazed by that. So I have to draw this to a close. Um, Paul says, verse 11, let's look at it quickly. Ephesians 11, uh, 3.11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So this is what God always planned on doing, one new envelope. Let's amaze everybody seen and unseen with it. He, he planned this from the, from the start. This is according to his eternal purpose. He's realized it now in time in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So 3.13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Yes, I'm in prison. Yes, I'm in jail. Don't be worried. You worried about my suffering? Are you ashamed of my suffering? Don't be, it's for your glory. Glory in it. Our man, our apostle, our Paul, he's so faithful to Jesus Christ, he is in jail. God gave him a jail ministry and we glory in it. That's what Paul's telling them to do. So here's where I want to end all this. Good place to land the plane. So you are called to ministry in humility to make Christ known, the riches of Christ to the Gentiles and the Jewish people, and to make known what, what was a mystery which is that there's, there's a new one man where when we go in that envelope, we get united, man. Different people, different backgrounds. We get united. We get to be one. We get to love each other with new hearts that love the same things. So you are called to all that. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity to look into your word and we pray for people here today who need to know the Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you invade their hearts? Would you turn them? Would you turn them to yourself? Would you put the longing in them that you would be their God, their Lord, their master, their savior? May they bow the knee. And would you put it in them to call upon your saving name? Lord Jesus, save me an undeserving sinner. Lord, so move people, and many of us have believed on you, and we pray that you would make us faithful ministers as stewards of the things of God. We pray that you would increase our opportunities to proclaim Christ and his riches to all the spiritually poor people around us. And may we see many of them come to saving faith in you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.